0: This is the Washington State Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. So this week, we are officially kicking off our coverage of candidates who will be running in this year's election from the federal to the state to the legislative. And I am extremely proud to be presenting two representatives from my home district this week, Bill Ramos and Lisa Cowan, both from the fifth legislative district. Now, I know that a lot of you are going to be coming out to the 8th Congressional District to canvas for Dr. Kim Schreier. And when you are here, you may wind up, you very likely will wind up in the 5th legislative district. It's a huge part of the 8th. So you're going to want to get to know our two amazing state reps. We will start today with Bill Ramos. He was first elected in 2018, and he is vice chair of the Transportation Committee. He is also in the Rural Development, Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee, as well as the Public Safety Committee. Representative, Representative Ramos. Always a pleasure. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me, Stephen. It's, it's a happy.
0: pleasure, as I say. So listen, you know, there's a lot to discuss here, um, and we will certainly get to happier topics. But I do want to start by, by talking about this week's just horrific shooting, school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and you know, it's, it's just hard to get your head around. So I'll just ask you, I mean, as a person, as a lawmaker, how are you processing what happened? Yeah.
1: Um, it, it, is, it is tough to feel it. And I, I have the ability or luck to be able to feel it and then try to do something about it. Because that's my job. And, and I can't get swamped down into all the, the emotion. But how do we take action? What do we do? to stop accepting this as the common mode. It's not right. We at the state have done some good things. Um, I know we've done some good things. It's not enough, we need more. At the national level, we need a lot more. What can we do to take action to reduce this number? We're not gonna get rid of all bad things in the world, but we sure as that can reduce them a whole lot. Um, So let's get that going. We've done some great things like, say, in the, in the state this year, we've uh, limited high capacity magazines, we've limited guns in public places, school boards, and things like that, that just seem like, in a sense, why do we have to do that? But those are the things we have to do. We have to continue striving on this path to reduce these uh, horrific events as as much as possible.
0: There is, in, in our preparation for this, we also talked about some of the behavioral health components to all of this. How are you thinking about that as well?
1: Yeah, and and, and that is a part of it, but I, I hate when folks take that and, and say, that's the only part of it. Right. Absolutely. So we, we have to, oh, we don't worry about guns. We don't worry about all this stuff. That's the only part of it. No, that is a part of it. And this state is way behind in behavioral health. And in the last two years, we've made some major changes in trying to increase our access uh, for for folks for behavioral health, we're way behind in having enough providers. You know that that's our big thing: having enough facilities and providers. And so we've got uh, uh, we broke ground on a, a new uh, hospital at, in UW area that's going to be a training hospital, 400 beds, but also train more folks so they can go out in the community, which we're trying to get. We need it all from every as because of what happened. From kids, very young kids need behavioral health uh, services to to adults and so the need is overwhelming and we've got things going in the right direction but unfortunately it does take time to get those trained skilled people that can help us because it's not an easy job and uh, I thank the ones that are doing it now. And uh, I've actually heard from a constituent that uh, their son is in the, moving into this field because of some of the things that are happening. And I just thank those folks that are strong enough to uh, take that on as a career and help serve our communities in that way.
0: I agree. And like you say, there's so much to be done on, on both fronts. And it's, it's good to know that there are people uh, in the legislature and, and elsewhere who are thinking about these sorts of things. I also want to talk a little bit about women's reproductive health, uh, because we know about the leaked draft Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. We know this would have just an absolutely catastrophic uh, effect nationwide, and I think a lot of people are wondering what the impact would be here in Washington State. Can you talk about some of the things that the legislature has done to protect a woman's right to choose here?
1: Yeah, very proud of our state for the path we've taken. Uh, Right now, uh, the, the path is clear. The woman has the right to make those choices. Um, and it has for quite a while now. We were on the first dates if so you look back historically to, to take some of these actions way back when. But even with those rights protected this last year, we passed an additional bill to even expand them further to uh, did two main things allow any medical provider that is qualified to do various services, different types of, of abortion services to be able to do, do them. You know, so um, uh, physician assistants, uh, registered nurse practitioners, those folks that are qualified to do certain things can do that so you don't need a full doctor uh, in there. And that helps a lot of our rural areas a lot because of of some of the limited medical staff sometimes. Uh, So there's that, and also part of that was that uh, we don't allow anyone (laughs) to pass a law that uh, uh, tries to attack folks that assist people uh, that are needing these services. Uh, as some of the laws in other states have done where you can uh, sue and uh, uh, have criminal charges against people that help someone get their medical services that they need. So that was also a uh, lot. But as much as our state is in a great spot right now, remember, every law passed can be unpassed, if you will, or, re- or reverted. It is so critical to keep the, <laughs> keep the Democrats in majority, yeah. to keep these laws in place because it can, it can change on a dime. So we have to never let our guard down and keep this going. So we keep our state at least safe, but that is not enough. We need to continue to work throughout across the country and in all the ways that we can um, to uh, help others as well that aren't as lucky as we are right now.
0: That's just exceptionally well put. And I, I think there are, A million reasons why we need to vote uh, Democrat up and down the ticket this year and that is a a very very strong reason right there as you say. Uh, Another issue uh, that people in your district are very concerned about is the environment. Uh, As I mentioned you are on the Rural Development uh, Agriculture Natural Resources Committee. So I'd love for you to talk about a few of your bills but also just talk generally about what the the legislature got done on the climate front in this year's session. Yeah
1: um, you know and in this session, and I have to include the last session because the last session we passed yeah. the Cl- Climate Commitment Act and low carbon fuels, which were major pieces. In this in the last session, we added to that the transportation package that we passed, Move Ahead Washington, was a major piece because one third of the funding that over $5 billion had to have a, an effect of reducing carbon and greenhouse gases in the transportation sector which has been a sector we've been unable to make those changes in. So a big, big movement in climate is coming through our transportation package um, in that reduction. Those things such as electrifying the ferry system, uh, adding uh, uh, public transit where we can, other places where we're not just building roads and adding for single occupant vehicle use, but but to reduce that actual impact in our uh, In in the transportation sector, and because the transportation sector is moving by definition, it's always much harder to get a hold of that versus some of our buildings. We've tried to uh, approach, and some of the things we've done there as well. So, climate—the big piece was definitely through our transportation sector. uh, In in that, uh, on top of our Climate Commitment Act and low carbon fuel that we'd done the year before.
0: You know, I mentioned you're on rural development. I uh, neglected to mention, I talked about it in the intro, but I neglected to mention here that you are the Vice Chair of Transportation, and so these two things very much go hand in glove, and there's a lot of push-pull between the two of them, so it sounds like there's been some progress, uh, and I know that it's been a hard one, so congratulations on that. Um, one of the things that we know people are upset about right now, and understandably so, with the rising cost of living, is gas prices, and I know that we're going to anticipate hearing this on the doors from voters. Um, I You, you mentioned the Climate Commitment Act, uh, and I I think some people worry that that is going to raise gas prices. How do you respond to that?
1: I I think everybody's worried about prices, and that's legitimate. Um, I think the question's a little bit... uh, uh, We need to ask a bigger question on what's the price of gas caused by. Um, The Climate Commitment Act and reducing carbon in that way, it is possible to raise the price of gas a couple pennies a gallon is a prediction of possibility. Uh, In the last uh, short period of time, the petroleum companies have raised the price of gas a dollar to a dollar and a half. We're talking two very different scales here. And I think we need to look when we're worried about the price of gas. We shouldn't look at the little bit we're doing to uh, reduce the carbon impact. But how petroleum companies have us totally under the gun to raise prices as they see fit a dollar to a dollar and a half a gallon in a short period of time like we've done now. Uh, the Biden administration has asked them to reduce their prices just simply because they can and they refuse to because they're making so much money, they're not about to do that. So I think our pressure in the controlling price of gas has to be working back with the petroleum companies to help control the price because there's so many other variables in that price of gas that they have much more control of than the few pennies we're going to talk about that, that may help reduce the carbon impact of that same gasoline.
0: Another thing we're going to hear about from voters is about public safety and police reform. Um, You are also on the Public Safety Committee and I know you've been working on on this for a very very long time and something that we talked about in preparation is you're actually hearing good things from law enforcement in the state on clarifying the legislation which was some of the work that was done this year. Can
1: you talk about that and then talk about a little bit of the things you've heard from law enforcement? Thank you for that question because you know, There's a lot of bad information that got spread a year or so back, um, but uh, we've been having discussions with our, all our chiefs of police in, in all our cities, in, in uh, the 5th District, uh, with the county sheriffs, and, trying, and we we're working with them side by side to to get good policy that works so they can do the good job of protecting us and also do it in a way that protects the community as a big, as a much bigger, larger whole. Um, they are very happy. with We passed mainly four bills that really clarified some of the places that uh, people were concerned with because there was some misinterpretation. Some, some lawyers read it one way, some lawyers read it another. And so we were having actually police doing different things in different places, which we don't want. Our point is to get consistency. Right. So we rewrote those with everybody sitting there and saying, this is the only way to interpret it. This is the policies, how we want to enact them. And they're very happy with that. Most law enforcement folks I know, they just want clarity. They want to know what we want them to do, what we don't want them to do. And they, and they can train and, and, and work in that arena very easily. So they're very pleased with those clarify, uh, clarifying definitions we have, um, plus allowing them to do a little more uh, when needed, when, uh, particularly uh, when they come on a scene of a group of people and they don't know what's going on they have to need time to figure out the situation, who's doing something bad or good or what. And they need that time to work that out so that they can control that scene for a short period of time, figure out what's going on before people just, you know, could just take off and then they wouldn't know who what's going on. So they're really, uh, happy with that. Cause that's their job. They want to make, they want to keep us safe. They really do. And they, and they need some tools to do that. So, um, all, of, all the folks I've talked with have been very, very happy with uh, those four particular bills that we passed this last year, making those clarifications and and defining with consistency and transparency what, what we want done.
0: And in a related vein, and to be very clear about this, Democrats are not in favor of drawing down
1: police budgets, correct? Absolutely. That is, that is correct. We are not that wanting to reduce police, we need police. They do keep us ourselves safe. What we want is community police that work with us to keep us safe and and know the communities they work with. So we want them there um, and and we want them to do their job well. Uh, We also know that there's more things that we have added to their jobs over the years that isn't really the best place for all their good training to be. So we want to add to them and for them uh, the side we talked about of, of other folks in the behavioral health arena and other is where folks need assistance, but not necessarily armed law enforcement assistance. So we want them to work together, expand our ability to, to uh, respond to behavioral health issues, uh, uh, substance abuse issues, those things, and respond to them to a different way than just putting someone in jail because that's the only tool you have in the toolbox, right? So um, doing those other things mixed with good uh, law enforcement support is what we're trying to do. So we're actually trying to expand the money that goes into serving our community, not reduce it. This podcast
0: actually did uh, some coverage of uh, alternatives to uh, policing for behavioral health issues. And I will have that in the show notes for people if you're interested in checking that out. Uh, before we go, uh, I, I would love to just hear a little bit about what you're working on in the interim. Of course, reelection, most, uh, most probably front of mind for you right now. But also, I know that there are a number of other things that you are going to be working on. Uh, to tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah and and just to be be honest it, I'm predominantly trying to get reelected cuz if I don't do that I don't have the opportunity to do all this so great work I'm working on but I am going to continue to work on our uh in in this area particularly Lake Sammamish we have a pilot project going to help uh, our salmon in early life stages protect them from predation and light pollution so we're working on that around our lakes and expanding that i'm also working with a group in uh we've got, we can call it the right-wing violent extremists and domestic terrorism we're trying to get a handle of that in this state as well because that is in our state as well as everywhere else mm-hmm. um and um just continuing to work on our transportation issues of course which we we did a lot to get it started but there's more to do there and behavioral health and education Uh, I have a great seatmate that we work a lot on these items together and split up the work and really share to get more done. So getting reelected, top priority, trying to get these things done uh, as as we're doing that as well um, to uh, keep keep working towards all the things that are gonna be better for our community. And of course, always um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, leading in those pieces that trying to get our communities having similar services similar uh similar opportunities across the spectrum and not have some areas being different than others you mentioned your
0: seatmate lisa callen she will be joining us in just a moment uh, before i let you go though i will ask you uh, how can people learn more about your reelection campaign
1: yeah uh thank you uh we need all the help we can get that's how democrats get elected is volunteer help that's our secret <laughs> power so anybody wants to canvas um you know, uh, voteramos.org is my website. Things will be posted on there. Also, the 5th LD Democrats, also things post on there. So we will be having uh, our official kickoff for, for Vote Ramos June 8th at six at the Issaquah uh, train depot. We'll have our canvas kickoff on June 5th uh, in Issaquah also at 1 o'clock. And we'll be having canvases every weekend, every Saturday at 10 and every Sunday at 1. Um, and volunteer opportunities abound. I can even use someone to help drive me around our rural neighborhoods that, that are too far to walk when I'm knocking on doors, you name it. <laughs> we, we can use all the help we can get because this is really important if we want to keep working on these uh, all these things we talked about is to get folks reelected in the Democratic Party
0: say the rural areas that are too far to walk, between. you may be talking about my neighborhood right there. Uh, Representative Bravo. And I I don't get the opportunity to say this all that often. You are my representative. And I really, really appreciate all the work that you do. So thank you for all that you do. And uh, also, of course, thank you for joining us today.
1: And and thank you for what you do and getting the word out really appreciate all the work you do. Thank you, Stephen.
0: The next step is Representative Lisa Callen. She is vice chair of the VP Capital Committee, which oversees the House capital budget, handling things like infrastructure spending. And she's also the co-chair of the Children and Youth Behavioral Health Work Group. Representative Cowan, how are you? I'm
2: great. Thanks uh, for having me today, Stephen.
0: Oh, it's always a pleasure to see you. I'm, I'm so glad that you were here. And I, I want to start with a question that I started with, with Representative Ramos, and I wish it were a better question. But I do want to ask you about the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, um, specifically somebody who works in education and behavioral health. I, I just wonder how you're processing the events this week.
2: You know, yesterday in particular was, was really hard. I think the day, the day of uh, reached out to a lot of my colleagues and uh, educators and just knowing that they would be experiencing a lot of secondary trauma I know educators that were on the scene um, when we had uh, a lethal shooting deadly shooting at the Marysville um, high school and it that, Processing in and of itself and just knowing how that is uh, sitting in people's world and what that brings forward and knowing that what happened um, for the tragic lives lost of our elementary kids, you know, 9, 10, 11 year olds and just Mm. thinking about their, you know, their mothers and their fathers and those educators who are caring for somebody else's child and that pain that was suffered, right? And then knowing how many lives are going to be changed forever. Uh, because of that is just, um, it's unspeakable and it's just the emotion of, um, something that you know somebody else is experiencing that you can't even, is so terrible that you can't even imagine, yeah. right? It's just so, uh, it's so tragic. And then the next day, you know, you're into the, you're into the grief, but you're also into the anger and you're also into the guilt of, um, trying to figure out what hasn't gotten done, why hasn't it gotten done, um how do we prevent this and all of that work too. So it's, um, you know, there's just so much work to do on the federal level and, and Washington state as well. Um, and certainly taking those steps in Washington state, um, we were able to do some of that this last session um, and have continued to grow on strengthening some real common sense aspects around uh, gun responsibility. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was surprising well, it's not surprising. It's just sad, actually, uh, the way it shows up in in everybody's lives and how they're impacted. And and for me, I guess I was surprised about the the physical um, reaction as much as the emotional reaction, uh, in particularly uh, yesterday.
0: I mean, it's 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 a gut punch, and as you say, it's unspeakable, and, and words are are inadequate at a time like this and we reach for action. Um, you we mentioned the, at the federal level, of course, and I mean, that's, it's a very frustrating uh, subject in and of itself because we, we know what the situation is at the federal level, but you also mentioned the things that have happened here at the state level. And uh, one of the things that I, I would bring up is a bill that you proposed uh, this year on the importance of safe firearm storage. Is that something that you will plan on introducing in next session?
2: I will, yeah, definitely. And, you know, and I think we had really strong support for it in the House. I think in committee there was support in the Senate. I think it was one of those bills that just ran out of time. And so I definitely will reintroduce it. And really what it was geared to, and I went through the the education K-12 committee, was to um, have school districts put out into their parent world through all of their communication channels, their normal communication channels, Information provided by the Department of Health on how to securely store your firearms, how to securely store your ammunition, how to securely store your medicines um, and over counter drugs, and uh, to also offer up current substance use trends and overdose um, uh, responses. These are all things that are happening, you know, with the mental health uh, crisis that our youth are and seeing and feeling. Um, but the even from when I was on the school board, just knowing the impulsivity of children and youth. And if you can remove quick access in the time where life is just really a hard moment in a hard few moments, uh, we can save lives. And when you have that easy access and you have impulsivity and you have developing as that is a lethal combination. And that's something we can do something about. And this was very, um, Small step, but a very, just putting it out there, reminding our parents and our caregivers that are, you know, taking their kids to school every day, the, um, you know, the Tylenol sitting on the cabinet is right. dangerous and the ammunition and your safe gun storage, even though you might have the training and you might, you know, be a responsible gun owner and all of that kind of stuff. How does that day actually show up in your living room and what does that mean and, and how do we prevent those accidents and just that reminder, keeping that front and center? It uh, costs very little, um, yeah. and will save lives.
0: It's incredibly important, as you say. It, it will save lives, and you know these are the sorts of things. These are the sorts of actions that, that we can take, and that you know, if one life is saved, then it ultimately is worth it. Um, I would like to talk, you mentioned and I neglected to mention your work on the K-12 uh, committee and I wanted to bring in education because I know that this is very much your wheelhouse for education and behavioral health. Um, and I just wanted to ask a, a couple of things about your work during the pandemic, because we know just how hugely disruptive this was for schools. Um, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about some of the things that the legislature, and, and you in particular, did to kind of meet the challenge that was posed by, by the pandemic the, this year?
2: Well, the legislature certainly um, tried to bring in, in some relief around funding. Uh, school districts and the traditional funding model for our K-12 world was uh, is based off of enrollment numbers and uh, children being in seats X number of hours per day. And that clearly wasn't happening during the pandemic. Um, and it. You know, ebbed and flowed whether it was in 2020, 2021 and, and, and the current school year. So trying to be responsive to how schools n- and what they needed and bringing the funding stability that they needed to be able to make sure that learning was happening today was one of the key elements to that. Um, in particular, this last session, there was some uh, funding relief um, that was a little bit less than the year before. I would have liked to see more. We'll continue to have those conversations and what that looks like as the, the years ahead play out. Uh, I think a lot of other aspects that we brought forward were, of course, uh, paying attention to the mental health of our children and our mm-hmm. youth, and I'm sure um, hopefully we'll have a chance to get into that a little more in another aspect of it, but uh, bringing forward a bill um, from, from my perspective on what we can do to make sure students are feeling safe at school and also um, being able to take care of themselves. We also, uh, this was a year where we um, were meeting our McCleary uh, requirements as that's an ongoing thing and bringing forward cost of living increases for our teachers, making sure that we're staying there. You know, we lost a lot of teachers, uh, um, because of the toughness of the job over the last two years in particular. And, uh, it was already a workforce shortage in that area. Not only teachers also our bus drivers also, um, our paraeducators and our education assistants and so many of our education staff. So finding ways to really uh, beef that up and and stabilize that workforce environment. What does that look like and mean? Those were all aspects Mm -hmm. that we were trying to address this last session.
0: And, you know, you touched on the behavioral health aspect. Do talk a little bit, unpack that a little bit more. What were some of the things that you did on behalf of students to basically address uh, the mental health issues that a lot of students are facing?
2: Sure, sure, sure. Well, i have been really proud to have worked with students who brought me this bill. I had a student from uh, Auburn High School that actually brought this to me the session before last, and we continued to work on it so we could move it this year and then combined with other students uh, with Representative Jesse Johnson, and we're able to bring uh, this bill successfully across the session. And, and that was to make sure that students who are missing school because of mental health reasons are getting those absences excused, um, which uh, it would seem like an obvious thing, but if it's excused or unexcused, makes up the difference of whether or not you can make up the work, it makes the difference of you know what kind of credit you can you can bring down, and adds to the anxiety and the stress and the mental health issues that our students are facing. So, um, in the state legislative code, uh, it was not clear how that. Uh, mental health absences showed up, and so the school districts were interpreting it differently and were making different requirements under their their local definitions and and how they were interpreting the law. So we worked with our youth and brought the bill forward to make sure that every student in Washington, and it was very clear that every student in Washington can be excused and mental health absences should be considered as physical um, health absences are. You don't need to have a mental health diagnosis in order to get a mental health excused absence. Um, If you're dealing with a high anxiety day, like you're dealing with a cold and you're needing to take care and, and do what you need to do to take care of yourself and your family, you're going to be able to get that excused absence and come back to school and be ready to learn in a way that you're healthier you.
0: I've been very open on this show for folks uh, that I suffer from depression and anxiety and we know how intertwined these two things are. And another thing that you did was uh, to really promote uh, more behavioral health with pediatric primary care and also really promoting a lot of these uh, intervention treatments for students. Uh, a lot of that stuff is very near and dear to my heart and so it's certainly just a, absolutely essential stuff in my opinion. I, I do want to shift gears and, and talk about just a couple of things as we start to transition now officially into campaign mode. Uh, we are going to be out on the doors and I know that a lot of people are very interested in hearing from you on, on a couple of issues that we know that we're going to hear about and so I would love to just get your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, these are a couple of things that I also discussed with Representative Ramos. The first is public safety. Uh, we know that we're going to hear from folks who are concerned uh particularly about recent legislation uh, aimed at law enforcement with the assertion that it will make us less safe. How would you personally respond to that if, if that were something you heard on the doors?
2: Well, I can certainly talk about a lot of the action that we took this last legislative session. I mean, we took uh, legislation action in uh, 2021. And um, when we talk about making, you know, the people on the doors talking about maybe making and feeling less safe. And I think that that was very necessary action on our part to make sure that everybody actually does feel safe, whether you're black, whether you're brown, whatever your skin color is, that you can um, have a trusted relationship with your law enforcement and with your community and with your neighbor and know that you're going to get the same level of care response and public safety means the same thing for everybody and what that looks like it means. Certainly in 22, we clarified uh, where there's some um, issues that uh, the law enforcement and city attorneys and that type of work were, were trying to clarify what does this actually mean? and What is the true definition of this and that? So, you know, passing that, I think when we uh, ended our session, Rep. Ramos and I toured around uh, all of our district and talked with all of our police chiefs and to try to get, you know, further clarity about how they were feeling about what this looked like and meant. And I think they were very satisfied with um, the legislation as it's unfolded over both sessions combined yeah. and what that looks like and means. So, the fact is really in this last legislation, um, last legislative session, we increased and uh, in, did quite a bit of additional funding into our law enforcement public safety uh, aspect. So we increased um, the basic law enforcement academy class sizes so we can train more police officers faster and try to fill the gap in workforce and need that we have out there. Um, there's quite a bit of, we have a law enforcement wellness program To try to make sure that we're taking care of and that's grant dollars that um police departments can apply for to try to you know bring forward and make sure that their officers have a well-being and a sense of again going back to that behavioral health and mental health that they themselves Mm -hmm. are uh being cared for and taken care of um we're doing a lot of co-response work where we're trying to expand and bring forward models um as cities are looking for them and needing them in a way where you can bring additional services in support of our uh, police officers as they're responding to community care calls, so that um, they can stay focused on public safety, and then those that really need the healthcare uh, and the mental health care and the behavioral health care and all of those are getting those resources too, and we're getting folks moved quickly to the resources that they need, so public safety and our and our police officers can actually you know stay focused in on. Um, on their job calls uh, of what they're doing out in the field every day. So, I mean, there was um, other online training resources. So as you actually look at it, I know there's this narrative too about defunding police, but if you look at, from my perspective, it's about funding those additional resources necessary to actually do the job in a way that everybody wants, including our public safety officers and our police officers.
0: Well put, and, and 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 I think a very thorough summation of all the things that are being done for public safety, and actually, indeed, uh, for our, our our peace officers here in the state. Um, we also know that people are very very concerned about the cost of living, particularly uh, the cost of gas, but also the uh, the sorts of supply chain issues that are leading to things like the the baby formula shortage. When somebody raises these concerns, how do you feel we should respond?
2: Well, I think certainly, you know, we're seeing some stuff happening at the federal level. You know, a doctor, uh, Congress, Congresswoman, Dr. Kim Schreier, you know, just uh, passed a bill in in um, the House on uh, gas gas prices. Um, I think that's really key. And as our state works in, and works on this, we have to work in partnership with that because it is a national and a global issue. When we start talking about supply chain issues, one of the things that I was able to do this last legislative session. Um, working with my colleagues was to pass funding to get some dollars to the ports uh, to make sure that they could increase and support infrastructure directly related to supply chain um, barriers and, and even little things, right? And paying attention to what that looks like, including uh, we have a huge uh, truck driver shortage. Um, and as you start peeling back how that's showing up in Washington state, You'll find that there are very little rest stops that accommodate truck drivers, Um, their ability to have a restroom along their route and have a bio break um, is very limited. So we're very on regard. And so trying to work on some legislation that passed through to make sure that we're, we're taking care of all of that. I think one of the biggest significant steps, though, is certainly providing some dollars into our ports up and down Washington State and all the different corners to make sure that We were Mm -hmm. doing what we could do to try to expedite uh, supply chain supports in our ports.
0: You know, you talk about working with the federal government and Congress in particular. I know you've been very busy during the interim, uh, and one of the things that you're working on with the Capital Committee is going to be working to determine what happens to the federal money that is coming in from last year's bipartisan infrastructure package. I'm a little geeky about this. I actually think this is very exciting uh, that we're going to be receiving this money and that you are going to be one of the people who is going to be determining where this money goes. What can you tell us about that?
2: It is very exciting. And certainly the federal uh, relief dollars that came in through the pandemic and being on the capital committee in that space, the first couple of relief packages that came in and dollars that came in, uh, during the legislative session, we had to kind of guess on what the rules were going to be that the federal uh, government was kind of trying to put around those. And so we allocated and then we had to readjust in the supplemental year, but we were able to get those dollars out and really support a lot of huge programs um, around you know, infrastructure and, you know, all of that meant also uh, job stability, job creation, the capital budget is that, right? It's people working and it's building um, out the resources, the, you know, the, all of the infrastructure that we need in every aspect of our lives. Um, so the upcoming infrastructure package that has passed and we're waiting on the rules that wasn't in place in time for us to deal with in this last legislative session. So those buckets that we can actually uh, grab a hold of and use wisely, uh, we're anxiously waiting to get the rulemaking, figuring out what that can look like and mean. And in particular, I know um, one of the areas that we'll be able to make high use of is um, some of the, the water and safe, um, safe drinking water money that's coming through I've been a champion to making sure we're getting lead out of our schools Great. Um, and have moved uh, bills in that regard. And so that would be another area where we can really dive in. And, you know, there's a lot of seismic activity in our schools that um, wanting to make sure our schools are, are it's quick safe. All of that type of infrastructure stuff we'll be looking at. You know, we have a lot of transportation needs and all of that. There's a huge chunk of the infrastructure package that came in that is grant dollars. And so um, making sure that we've got to focus on um, getting the word out whether or not it's a grant at a city level or a county level or what the level of and, and who can apply for those grants, making sure that those folks know and get that out. There's a huge opportunity and well-written and tailor-made for Washington State on our salmon recovery and um, our fish uh, passage and barriers. So we expect to see a lot of dollars uh, flowing in that, that arena as well. So as we start to unpeel all that and figure out what we can directly apportion into um, infrastructure that will support water, clean water, clean air, infrastructure that's tied to broadband, making sure that we're taking care of our transportation needs that we can uh, apply for and, and how we bring that forward, certainly our fish passages, and making sure that we've got the infrastructure support and capacity to build out housing that we need and our housing demand and capacity, right? That's our sewer lines right? That's our power lines. That's all of those infrastructures. That is a high burden on our city. So if we continue to push that and meet that mutual goal and need that we need to do in Washington State, that's a win-win-win.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all very exciting. And I'm really glad that you're uh, in charge of that. And we'll be you know, uh, interested in hearing more as that all develops and starts to become allocated. Where can people learn more about your campaign and, and the, the activities that are going on, volunteer opportunities, stuff like that?
2: Sure. Thank you for asking that. Certainly you can go to lisacallan.org. That's L-I-S-A-C-A-L-L-A-N.org. That's my campaign website. Um, and happy happy to talk to you. And I will always say, and I've always put out there, right um, out for everyone, you know, my personal cell, which is 425-260-4878. Um, I'm always happy to, to listen deeply to the issues and concerns that are showing up in people's lives. And those are the issues and concerns I want to take to Olympia and uh, just will always fight for that and um, love having those deep conversations. I'm all about rolling up my sleeves and getting into the messy policy work to make sure we can get as many win-win-win-win-wins as we can, Yeah, I uh, appreciate it.
0: Well, we appreciate you, and as I said to Representative Ramos, uh, it is rare on this program that I actually get the opportunity to personally thank my representatives. Uh, you are mine, and I thank you for everything that you do, and of course, I thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you very much, and be well.
0: You as well. You as well, my friend. And that'll do it for this week. If you would like to see a video of this or any of our programming, head to facebook.com slash podcast. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org, and the email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at indivisiblepod. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin, and thanks, as always, to Lori Caldwell. My thanks as well to you for listening. I'm Stephan Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.